As an award-winning head coach and Hall of Fame player for Furman University women's basketball, Coach Jackie Carson has led teammates, players, coaching staffs, and female leaders in and out of the Paladine program with confidence and distinction for 20-plus years. Today, as she walks the sidelines of Timmins Arena, where her retired number 22 jersey hangs from the rafters, Coach Carson reminds her players to be distinct, a program motto that centers team building around developing the presence of each individual. Her game day heels and pencil skirts might be unexpected to some, but Coach Carson welcomes opportunities to exceed expectations. As the only person in the Southern Conference history to be named both player and coach of the year, Coach Carson is a winner who is changing perceptions while transforming her alma mater. Coach Carson knows winning moments are possible for everyone when space is provided to live authentically. And as she leads women and girls, including her own daughters, to break barriers, bust records, and make history, she's making sure women are prepared for opportunity. You don't want to miss this conversation with Coach Jackie Carson, where we discuss personal mottos, how to find your authentic voice, and her mama Carson leadership rules. Let's go. Hello, my name is Emily Jansen, and this is the Leadership is Female podcast. We interview women in the sports and entertainment businesses to teach you the tips and the mindset that will get you to the top faster. Marion Wright Edelman said, you can't be what you can't see. Let's bring visibility to women who are crushing it in their roles. Join us week after week, season after season, as we reach back to extend a hand to pull you forward. We will lead you forward because leadership is female. Welcome to the Leadership is Female podcast, Jackie Carson. She is the head women's basketball coach at Furman University. We're so happy to have you here today. Hey, thanks for having me, Emily. This is going to be great. I'm excited. Yeah. So tell us who you are and what you do. Give us a little introduction into your journey to becoming head basketball coach at Furman. Yeah, so again, my name is Jackie Carson. I just finished, uh, it proved to be a little bit more lucky, uh, unlucky than lucky, 13th year at Furman University, which is my, also my alma mater. Uh, so I had a great basketball career here and graduated in 2000, went on to play uh, a couple years overseas, and then um, I was supposed to go to Russia to play, and that just didn't sound uh, the least bit <laughs> exciting for me. So I retired from playing um, basketball and I was pre-med in college and had zero desire to be a basketball coach. And so um, I went back to Northern Virginia, uh, right outside, outside DC and um, started getting hours to go to either PA school or see if I wanted to go back to med school, which I knew was going to be a long trek. So and during that time, I was a um, a personal trainer and a rehab specialist. And so one of the young ladies that I trained was a basketball player with a local AAU team. And they, her mom said, hey, do you want to help coach this AAU team? I was like, sure. You know, I still loved basketball, so I wanted to be around it. Uh, just didn't want to play anymore. And so overseas life is a little bit tougher than most people expect. Um, so I was ready to come back home. But yeah, so I started coaching AAU and my assistant coach, Tim Taylor, who is now the head coach at Navy. He's like, hey, you need to coach in college. You're you're good at this. And I was like, no, I'm good. And he's like, no, you, sh you should try it. And I have you an interview at Bucknell as an assistant coach. And I was like, oh, my God, coach. And he's like, just go on the interview. And so that was about 20 years ago. And here I am. Um, I was two years at Bucknell as an assistant. 
five years at James Madison as associate head coach. And then now, like I said, just finished lucky year number 13 at Furman uh, where I went to school. And so uh, my husband is an associate athletic director at Furman. So we're a little bit of a tag team. And we have two daughters, London, who is 11 and Lathan, who is nine. So. Wow. What a story. I love that you were coaching AAU and the talent was shining through and other people saw it and were like, no, this is, this is what's next. And now you're an award-winning head coach and hall of famer. So you have a saying for your, your team it's be distinct. What does that program motto mean? Yeah. So, um, anyone knows me, I don't really like looking like anyone else. I like standing out for the right reasons. Um, one of the things my mom, I'm sure we'll hit on this. One of my mom's things my mom used to tell me all the time is you just gotta be better. And so you just gotta stick out for the right reasons. You gotta be better. And so really big on presence and having your own voice. And I think that's part of what be distinct was all about. We used to have different like mottos every year, like up until like my first, you know, five or six years. And then we would, you know, the first two weeks we're like, okay, here's their team motto for the year. And then by two weeks in, we went away from all of it. We forgot why we were saying it. It had no sticking points. So I was like, okay, I want a recurring like set of values and core values that everyone in this program, whether you're an assistant coach, a player, trainer, whatever the case may be, like that we live by. And I don't want it to be like anything else that we've seen. So be distinct was was created and it's an acronym for discipline integrity, uh, selflessness. I, we kind of cheat. We have three T's because it just depends on what I'm talking about. So the, the first T can either be transparency or together, intensity, no excuses, commitment, and trust. And so everything that we do is outlined in our distinct principles. Each principle or core value has a quote that is associated with it. So I let my first team that, you know, we instilled these core values. I said, go and look up these words and find a quote that you think, and I kind of sticks with our team and kind of will be the building blocks of this program from here forward. So I wanted to give them some ownership in what it meant. Um, so that first group <clears throat> had a bunch of um, quotes and we picked which one was the best one. And so those quotes travel with us year to year. All the players have to know the quotes that are associated with each for value. It's all over our locker room. It's on some of our gear. Like it's all over social media. It's really the branding of our program. And it's just so that we stick out for the right reasons and we represent our program in a distinct way. I love that. I love that story. And I, I didn't know it was an acronym and I, that allows that to go so much deeper when you can think about each one of those individual words and what they represent for the team. And you got to think that you know, sports, you get, you get those amazing four years at university, but that's going to stick with your athletes for life. Yeah, absolutely. We say it's funny because it's on, like we have scout quizzes and we, we start every day with what's the core value of the day. And then um, it's funny because I'll say something and they're like, coach, that's not very distinct of you. And I was like, you know what? That's a good point. So there's a lot of uh, accountability in both ways for, but it it really has, it's shaped our team. Um, it gives them an identity it, it gives us an identity in recruiting because if a young lady doesn't fit one of those core values, they can't join our program, you know? And so culture is everything. And so those core, those core values define our culture and everything that we stand by and it's on and off the court. So it does, it carries over into their into their life after basketball. And it's, it's fun. Some of the ones that are graduating, they're like, be distinct. And they, they, I mean, say, they still say the same things to this day. So. 
Oh, that's awesome. So you are, you're the coach at Furman, but you were also a player. So what's your most memorable moment uh, from Furman? Oh gosh. Um, as a player, we, we won the championship my senior year. We just knocked on the door so many times. And then finally, you know, it's nice to be able to win that championship. It's pretty crazy. We, we unfortunately haven't done it. We've been to two finals as a coach, um, one last year, but the best memory is, is on the way to the championship game for the Southern conference, uh, tournament, you get a police escort from the hotel. And so, um, both years that we were in the final, like our girls' faces lit up. They're like, we have a police escort. You know, just like, it's kind of like with your kids. Like they, they're just given something that they haven't had or experienced before. And kind of my why in the coaching is to make you believe and feel like you can do something you've never thought you were capable of doing. So when they have those like moments where they're like wide-eyed and kind of bushy-tailed and excited about what they've accomplished and what they're looking to accomplish that that probably means the most so it hasn't even done anything with winning or losing it's just little moments like that where they you know they're like oh this is so cool and this is more this is part of what I've dreamed uh the entire time so it's more like the mama Carson moments how much has basketball changed since you were a player gosh uh, a, a lot a lot and sometimes uh, a lot of it is probably for the worse because, you know, not just basketball, but maybe sports in general have changed a lot just because when I played so many sports, I played soccer and I played softball and I played tennis and, you know, that obviously basketball, volleyball, and I loved it. I feel like it really shaped who I am and, and the confidence that I built, you know, as a young kid. And now I think it's hard because we're kind of going through it with our, our daughters right now that every sport is year round and they want you to specialize so early. And I don't like that. So we're in a little bit of a struggle because both of my daughters, like I said, they're nine 11 and they're playing travel soccer and travel basketball. Well, you know, when I was growing up, it was basketball season, basketball season ended. And then it went to soccer season, soccer season ended, went to softball. So you could really just play multiple things. And now it's almost like you have to choose at nine and 11 and Mama Carson ain't choosing. So, <laughs> uh, so we just have conflicting, crazy schedules all the time. So I wish that was the one thing that hadn't changed is just the ability to, you know, not have to choose so early because I do think it contributes to burnout once they get to the college ranks. But the sport of basketball, um, it's a lot more, um, it was a lot more physical <laughs> when I was growing up. Um, and it was a little bit more uh, like, it was tougher. It was mentally tougher. And I think it's just a little bit like the environment and parents and stuff like that, that just made it tougher. So. Yeah. We, I was just talking with a parent this weekend on the sidelines of my eight-year-old's lacrosse game scrimmage, which turned into two games. And then they wanted to hold a practice afterwards. And then we got an email that they would now be practicing three days a week, plus games on the weekend. I'm like, they're eight and they barely know how to play. And we are also in soccer and the dad, this dad was like, well, you know, now we have to specialize in sports. And I go, I no, I don't believe in that. I, Jackie, I was the same as you. I had seasons. And at this age, it's about having fun. It's about building your athleticism and also like trying new things and making friends and like having a good time. I don't understand why we have to put so much pressure on the kids at such a young age, I don't think that's having good results once they get to high school. No, I totally agree. I've had so many parents from my daughter's, gosh, not only just from my 11-year-old AAU team, but nine-year-old, obviously they know what I do. So they're like, 
okay, she's trying to be D1 and she's got to do this. I'm like, let's just get through the tournament. Like we're trying to already alter her college <laughs> career. And she knows, she knows she wants to play this and this and this. And I'm like, you know, it, it's funny because in the, in the movie Love and Basketball, I used to love this quote all the time. It's when you're little, you just have dreams of what your future is going to be. And it never occurs to you. It may not happen that way. And so that, that's what I want to tell these parents. I was like, oh my gosh, you're setting the bar so high for your daughter. And what happens if it doesn't turn out that way? And that's what I said. Just the mentality is a little bit different by the time they get to, to college because, you know, I, I, it's amazing, Emily. I have so many girls that are super talented sit across from me and say, I don't think I'm good enough. I'm like, you're in college. And one of them was a freshman of the year, it turned out. But she's like, I just don't think I'm good enough. And so like they just set these really early lofty goals. And then if they happen to fall short, their whole world crumbles instead of, like you said, focusing on, did you have fun today? Did you have a great time? What do you think you could have did better? Oh, don't worry about that. Like, yeah, just worry on the sport. And I'm hoping that you, your skills improve and your mentality and that you eventually start to value winning and an and, and improvement. But right now we're not there yet. Have fun. Yeah. And focus on how far you came. You made it. You're playing college basketball. There's so much joy that you should allow yourself to feel in that moment of success. And now that you're there, you know, give yourself the time and the grace to build your skill set, learn from your teammates. You're not meant to be a hundred percent from day one. Like it's all about, you know, learning and growth and improvement over the course of your time. Absolutely. And and people don't see that, you know, and so it, it's funny that you said that because we did an exercise with our team this year. Again, we went through so much adversity and it was kind of crazy. I said, but let's have a reminder that you're in a position that you once prayed to be in. And because uh, I had to remind myself that a lot of times I was like, gosh, there were times, you know, 15 years ago, I prayed to be a head coach and now I am one. So I have to take what comes with it. But I also have to acknowledge I once prayed to be where I am now. And so that's what our girls, I said, remember, tell us about that time you once prayed. And they're like, oh, I prayed to be a division one athlete. I said, well, you're here. So let's celebrate that. Like, you know, and so we just went back to what did you once pray for and have you accomplished it? And pretty much every single one of them had checked off that box. I was like, okay, let's acknowledge that and let's move on instead of focusing on, oh, this is so bad right now. No, you once prayed to be in this position. So let's celebrate that. I love that reminder. And I think that all of our listeners can, can think of maybe the moment they're in right now, they once prayed to be there and you know, you, you made it and now you've, now you got to do it. Like now you, you got to take that situation that you prayed to be in and, and run with it and really find the most success and happiness and, and fulfillment that you can. And, you know, besides being the head coach, you're also involved in a lot of other things. You're an executive committee member and former president of the Women of Color Coaches Network and a leading member of the National Women's Basketball Coaches Association. What do you believe these organizations can do for women's lives? Why do you choose to lead within these organizations rather than just being a member? And then last, what do you think is the difference between membership and leadership? Oh, that's a great question. So it's funny because those organizations have really developed me a lot in finding my voice. Um, it's really, I think some people mistake leadership with um, using your platform to really like reach out to others outside of your organization. So 
I, I the the women of color group came about. Gosh, I think it's been uh, almost ten years, and it was because you know black females at the division one re- uh, level are really unpre- underrepresented. Uh, I cannot talk underrepresented at um, for black females at the division one in basketball. And so at the time, I think it was only fifteen percent of the head coaches at division one were black females. And so we got together because we really needed to just like kind of woosaw and be in a room where we were going through the same struggles. And it turned out to be an amazing weekend and where it was a lot of tears. And, and so that, that impacted me so much that when we decided to have a leadership board, uh, Felicia Hall Allen, who is based out of uh, Charlotte, she's like, you need to be the first president. And I was like, huh? And, and so uh, but it was really powerful for me because we formed men, like mentoring groups uh, of young black female head coaches that are coming through the ranks um, that wanted to get into college coaching, that were trying to become head coaches. So it was almost like we we really formed a sisterhood um, at different levels. So from assistant coaching level all the way up to a head coaching level, um, because we also there's studies that show that although we are unlikely to be hired, we are also likely to get fired a whole lot quicker in our current role, which is unfortunate. So similar to what I said, my mom, we have to be better. Like we can, we have to win quickly. We have to really add as quickly as possible value to the university in and in a, in a, you know, in addition to already winning games. So it's a, it's a higher stake and we have to like come together for that. So that's how the women of color group um, really formed and how it shaped me. The WBCA hits it's funny because I'm on a, a WBCA board of directors and uh, one of two coaches on the women's basketball oversight. And I, I always laugh that I must have talked too much in some of these meetings because people are like, hey, you want to be on this? And I'm like, uh, I don't. What is that? You know, and so but I, I'm pretty vocal. I used to not be so vocal in those meetings. And um, it really the tide turned for me after George Floyd, to be honest. Because I, I felt like as a as a black female, usually in a predominantly white space, that my truth made other people feel uncomfortable, and I didn't want anyone to feel uncomfortable. Uh, but at the same time, I realized after that moment that I need to make people aware of what my truth is instead of worrying about them being uncomfortable about my truth. And so my voice got significantly louder uh, in 2020 during COVID. Um, and it might have been because of Zooms and stuff like that, you know, and not being in the room as much. But um, it's it, it just served as an opportunity to on all these boards to give my perspective, which is usually in a unique perspective because there's not many in that room that look like me. And so that's where I think um, going to your your last question was it was the difference between leadership and membership members. I think they do play a role, but. Members don't have to, they can listen a lot more, not to say leaders don't, but they can kind of soak it in where leaders have to be very intentional about finding solutions for the membership. And that's where I think, you know, um, the membership is usually trying to execute out the leader's vision for that group, where the leader has to have a vision on how to get the membership to follow that group, you know, so I think that's the biggest thing is just, you know, in those leadership roles, we are trying to formulate a plan to move along the entire uh, membership. And then the membership's job is a little bit to execute that plan. So they're depending on that leadership to help move the group forward. So I love the, what you said about finding your voice and that there was sort of this tipping point for you where 
you realize that you didn't need to worry so much about the discomfort of others, that your truth is what needed to be told. And I think that that is so powerful. What, what type of confidence do you think you had behind that tipping point? Was it the circumstances that just sort of pushed you over the edge to really start to share your feelings, you know, from your heart, speak up. And and then how did you keep doing it? Because sometimes you get this burst of energy and and confidence and you can share. And then you're like, oh, I'm not sure if I'm going to do that again. Yeah. <laughs> um, how did, how did you get to that point and then stay so bold in your leadership? Yeah. I really think it was an aha moment during that time, during COVID George Floyd. And I remember we had within our athletic department, we had like a town hall with all the student athletes and, you know, just talking to people, just talking to my experience. Cause again, my husband works in the athletic department. He played football at James Madison. So, you know, we had to talk about something that no one else wanted, you know, there's another coach I'm extremely close to and she's a white female and um, she's definitely an ally. And, but I told her about certain things. She said, I never have to worry about that. Like, I never even thought that's an issue or a problem. And I, I talked about like, if we were driving down a street and, you know, God forbid, you know, we had to talk about the night before, if he gets pulled over by the cops and the girls are in the back and my us, my husband has a concealed weapons permit, but that doesn't matter in that time because he's a pretty strong and large black guy. And it, you don't know what environment you're in. So we, it was really cool because so many people, especially during that town hall, were asking questions. Hey, can I talk to you? Like, like I, a lot of my friends, we had such deep conversations about, they're like, I don't know what I don't know. And can I talk to you about that? And that kept making my voice a little bit stronger because before I was like, I'm not going to talk to you about that because one, I don't know if I can. Two, I don't know if you care. And three, it's just not something you just bring up. But that instance and that situation caused a lot of just conversations with friends and different groups that I'm in. And it was people all over the, you know, farming communities like, hey, can I talk to you? And we spend two, three hours because it's COVID, right? What else are we doing besides Zoom and talking on the phone to each other? And so that was really eye-opening for me. And then right after COVID was done, I got an email from a student. He's like, hey, I'm kind of doing this documentary. Do you mind if I come and ask you some questions? And so by this time, I felt really bold in my voice still. Um, and going back to your last instance, I felt like my voice was having such an impact that I never was like, okay, I'm, I'm not going to talk about this anymore because people were like, oh, thank you so much just by just having conversation that they never felt comfortable having. But the student came and he's like, do you mind if I interview you? And he was asking me about some things that I've experienced as a Black female and a Black female at Furman and a Black female as a player and just the, you know, everything that had happened, Ahmaud Aubrey, and, you know, just different topics. And it really hit me because he's like, Coach Carson, you don't realize this, but two years ago, I sent you an email asking if you would felt comfortable talking about this and you declined. You just said, I just didn't feel comfortable at the time, like sharing. And now like we did this interview and it was the, the, it was an absolutely phenomenal like interview. He did a whole documentary, just different segments of campus. And it was amazing. And, um, but that really hit me that two years ago, exact same question. Like, do you mind talking about this, this, and this? And I was like, Nope, I'm not doing it. (laughs) Yeah. Nope. It's going to make too many people uncomfortable. They don't need to know about it. But then in that moment, two years later, it just had such an impact and 
throughout the university and just other people that who, who watched it. Yeah. Well, you got the the ball rolling and then you started seeing the results. And at that point, like the momentum was keeping you going and there's, there was no turning back. And it was a bit of a, um, you know, awful and also like magical enlightening time because it opened up this conversation that no one felt comfortable having. And the more that we use our voice, the more it sort of normalizes the ability to have that conversation and to, to be open and, and talk with one another in a way that I don't think we really were before. And so I'm, I'm just, I love hearing that. I'm so thrilled. And it's just like laden with advice on if you've got something to say, you can't drive a parked car. Like you got to put it in gear or at least put it in neutral and let the wind, you know, push you a little bit and, and momentum will get you started. And it can also keep you going just like, um, inside your example. Right. Absolutely. And that's what it is. It's just like, just hearing a couple of people say, gosh, I wish we talked about this sooner or having, a, you know, people say, I just feel comfortable talking about it because I heard you talking about it, or that was the, how I've been feeling this entire time. And I never felt comfortable saying anything. So I think those are the biggest like things that just kind of, like you said, added um, some gas to the car and kept the car rolling. So it's it's been great. So what's the biggest hurdle that you've had to overcome in your career? I think from a coaching standpoint, it might be obviously my measurements of value are not the same as like me keeping my job, <laughs> you know, like obviously coaching, we, we measure, everything is measured by wins and losses. And, but what I describe as a win is not the same as what my AD and president and anyone else describes as a win. You know, I want young ladies to thrive in life. And, you know, I have them more from 18 to 22 years old um, than their parents do. Um, and so, you know, what I describe as winning is, is not the same measuring stick as what my job is entail. Now, luckily, I've been blessed to be able to do both, but that's, that's a hard, um, that's a, it's a hard combination of trying to do both. And I think a lot of coaches struggle with that, but, and then just also, like I said, just the dynamics of, you know, statistically being a black female and, and just knowing that it's, it's harder for us to have a second chance. You know, we kind of call it recycled in our business and you don't see a lot of black females who get another chance once they become a head coach. So you feel a lot of pressure to get it right the first time. And that's why I'm, you know, again, I'm blessed to have been at Berman for 13 years and and had many opportunities to get it right. And sometimes I've gotten it right and sometimes I've gotten it wrong, but I've been given grace to have another opportunity to do that. And so um, but there's a lot of pressure in this seat. It's a very lonely seat and especially lonely when there's not a lot of people that look like you in the seat. So trying to get folks to understand that is probably the biggest hurdle. I don't know about you, but I love learning more about myself. If there's a quiz out there to help me better understand who I am, I'll take it. If there's a journal prompt, I'm using it. But how about a business that helps female leaders communicate effectively while inspiring confidence and trust in those you want to impact? Sign me up. Breakthrough Brands is unlocking clarity for women leading progress. They build leadership brands for women to discover what inspires them, define what drives them, and unlock how to share their brands with others. Do you want to gain clarity on your personal brand? Shoot me a note at leadershipisfemale at gmail.com. 
or on Instagram, and we will introduce you to the women who will help you unlock your leadership brand. That's BreakthroughBrands.com. If you are listening to this podcast, I know you are a busy professional. We can agree we are always looking for products that are convenient and make life easier. Mobot water bottles are one of these products. It's a water bottle and a foam roller in one. I use the water bottle at the gym, staying hydrated in boot camp and then flipping the bottle on its side at the end of class to quickly foam roll my legs. It helps with recovery and gets me back to work faster. Get yours at mobot.com and use the code leadershipisfemale, all one word, to get 15% off. Support Lonnie Cooper, the female founder of this product, and support yourself. This is a must-have wellness water bottle. At Leadership is Female, we are serious about supporting you in your career. That includes the tips to get you ahead inside your current organization or provide you with the next big opportunity in a new role. That's why we have partnered with Legacy Search, an executive recruiting firm specializing in mid to senior level executive searches across professional, collegiate, and minor league sports. Check out the openings listed at LegacySportsSearch.com or in our monthly Leadership is Female newsletter. Hint, if you have not signed up for the newsletter, head to leadershipisfemale.com. If you find a job listed at Legacy Sports Search that looks like it should be yours, email us at leadershipisfemale at gmail.com and we will introduce you directly to the opportunity. This is your career. Make the most of it. I'm so happy you shared all this because I think there's generally probably a lack of awareness that those are the statistics. Like to me, as you're saying this on the uh, today, like it, it doesn't even make sense. Right. Like, what do you mean? What do you mean you don't get a second chance? What do you mean you're less likely to get hired and more likely to get fired? Like that it, it does not make sense to me. If you're a great coach, you played the game at, at the highest level and you're applying amazing leadership skills to these young women, like it, it just, that part is, is just very hard to connect the dots. But I think this is also providing like visibility around this issue. And it's, it's wonderful. You're talking about it because the more we talk about it, hopefully people have the same reactions as me is like, what the hell? <laughs> like that, that doesn't make sense. And that needs to change. People who are deserving of positions should get the positions like end of sentence, right? And, and that's what the biggest thing is. It's because again, going back to what I said earlier, it makes people uncomfortable. It's not that I'm, I don't want males to get this position because as I described earlier in the podcast, it was a male that helped me get into coaching. Like that's my my co- like closest counterpart. But I also think it doesn't make sense that there are more males coaching females than females coaching females. I have an, my associate head coach on my staff is a male. And I think, and I'm pushing him one day to be, uh, you know, a head coach of a program one day. So it's, it is a, a bit of a delicate mix. Um, but I also feel like I have put him in a position where he respects female leadership and he can still instill female leadership where I don't always think that's the case, but they have to see it to believe it. You know, they have to, I think that's the the really cool part for me is being in that 16, 17%. And um, it's still really weird. And just having a little girl just come up and be like, oh my God, and I just met you and you're so famous. I was like, okay, that's awkward. But to them, I am because maybe they haven't seen, you know, in our state, you see, you know, Don Staley and you, you see me a lot of times and there's some other examples, but, 
in those big moments, you are the only person that you're seen like that. And, you know, whatever the representation is. So they, they believe they can do it because they saw you and to you, uh, to them, you are famous. So that's, that's the biggest thing is just that there's so many hurdles that come with that and just finding your voice. Well, and your confidence, the skill of confidence that you've got has really helped you get to where you are today. And you're also showcasing that to those young women. So how much do you think confidence and willpower have played into the success that you've experienced and the position that you have earned today? Oh, huge. Because the crazy thing is, like I said, it's a really lonely position. So as much as I have to display confidence, I I don't always have it. You know, it's uh, especially in those tough moments, you're like, can I do this? And, you know, when you're trying to balance being a wife, a mother, a coach, season's not going well, you hear bad news, you're, you're support or not support. There's so many factors in, into it. But I also feel like just like just like moms, you have to project that strength to your kids or to your husband. And and we have to do so with our team. So. Uh, I think my confidence also kind of uh, like breads in like the fact that, again, I remind myself that I once prayed to be in this position and I earned this position and I got that position. So I have to keep telling myself, you, you're here for a reason and this is not by mistake and you earn this, but there's always an ever-changing climate of how you have to adapt and still be better than everyone else and still adjust. So that confidence comes in like, you know, and waves. And so I would be lying if I always said it was always peak, but it's also nice having a circle of people around you, particularly women and my husband that are like, okay, let's fix this crown queen. Like, let's get it back together. So like they feed confidence in because they know my weaknesses and my vulnerabilities more than others. So then to people who don't know me well, it just always looks like it breeds confidence, but really it's my network being like, come on, we got this, like, you know, pony up. And cause I, I don't want my players to see it. I want them to project that now absorb that confidence and project it into their own lives. And same thing with my kids, two little girls. I want them to see that mommy is confident, but behind the scenes, we all know that we have that breaking point as women <laughs> where things just seem to be falling apart. And then we get ourselves together. We hide in the bathroom or in the closet real quick. And then we come out and we look like super women again. So there's that stigma of being a woman and just always having to show the strength. Yeah, it's, it's so true. And it's great to hear that even coaches need coaching around them. You know, you need your own hype squad to to keep you on top of your game. Oh yeah. If we don't have that, we fall apart. It's just like anything else. Like, cause again, it's a, it's a profession that only someone else in this profession truly understands, you know? So like I said, my circle is extremely small, but it's tight and it allows me to be vulnerable with these women. And uh, obviously, my husband sees it on a daily basis because he gets the the wins and the losses when I come home. So the tough losses and he's got to deal with that and he gets to help celebrate the big wins and everything in between. But, but without that circle of women or just those people who know you best to tell you, to, hey, yes, you did this, but let's get back on this or to remind you how you got there and who you are and what you represent and what your why is, because they'll fully understand it. I think it's really hard to stay on top. So how much do you think having two daughters has, has changed you and changed your female leadership? Oh gosh, it's huge. I became a way better coach once I had kids because one, you know, I'm recruiting these young women to come to Fermi University and I'm saying, I'll do this, 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 and this, and I'll take care of your daughter. 
well, you don't really fully know how to take care of someone's kid until you have your own kid and you know what that looks like and feels like. So having kids is absolutely phenomenal. Also gave me balance though, because um, I used to take everything home, the wins, losses. I used to, I was a workaholic and it took, my oldest daughter is very much locked into sports and everything is like, did we win, blah, blah, blah. My oldest daughter, she plays sports, but she also can care less. She's looking at the dance team. She's looking at the mascots and like, I'll open the door and she's like, you know, it'll be a tough game. And she'll be like, let's play Barbies. And I'm like, let's play Barbies. Or they'll say, mommy, uh, like I- I'm real big on still dressing up for games. So that's part of my thing with my team is I wear stilettos and dresses and skirts and like just kind of nonstop. I think that professionalism needs to show young women on how to dress for your job and the job that you want. That's why I'm really big. So but going back to it, I'll have a tough game. My mom and my daughters will be like, but you looked real pretty. Your heels are really nice. <laughs> Your skirt looked great. You know, so it's just like uh, it just put a perspective and a balance in my life that I didn't have before. Yeah, I I love to hear that. And, and I would agree being a mom, it's made me better at my job. It's made me have more empathy for everybody around me. And um, also like just better dealing with people. I think in general, when you have these little ones that, that need so much from you, I don't know, it's, it's been a real enhancement to life. Absolutely. And I have way more patience. Yeah. I I had no patience. Now I'm just like, yeah, Yeah, I could, I could see that for sure. And you, you call yourself mama Carson. So you're, not really just mom to your two daughters. I think you also see those women on your team um, as as your girls too. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. It's funny because they'll say I like there's certain rules I have that are Mama Carson rules. So when they go somewhere, they just have to tell me like I don't need to know necessarily why you're going or and this is when they're going out of town. But we have a four text rule. You text me when you leave. You text me when you get there. You text me when you're leaving, coming back to campus, and you text me when you get here. And that's just so I know in my mind, I have peace that you're not traveling on the road and something's wrong. Like, cause my, all of my antennas go out, go up and you know how that is as a mom and worry. And I, I, I sense stuff from them the same way I sense it from my kids because I know them so well. Again, they're division one basketball players are on campus or with you pretty much 11 out of the 12 months out of the year. But, and they'll come into the office and they're like, we need you to take the coach Carson. Oh, I need mama Carson right now. And I'm like, okay, let's do this. And so I think it gives, uh, it, it strengthens our relationships because they know I can go both, you know, ways of being their coach and their mama and stuff like that. But um, I definitely have a mama Carson side with all of these athletes. And then it helps in recruiting too, because I do not recruit any kid that I think is going to be, but my daughters can't be around, <laughs> you know? And so, because my kids literally think that my players are their best friends. I was like, in their minds, they are, you know, and so I want them to choose really good best friends. And I want them to see the example that our young women set. And so I think it's just choose, a, a, you know, it, it has just led to a whole different relationship. And the, and the mama Carson also lets parents know that their daughter is going to be taken care of because there are so much, <laughs> so many mama rules. What a great recruiting tool that is just so authentic, right? You're not, you're not making that up, but you're able to really create that trust with those parents that you're going to take care of their girl when she's on campus with you. And as a, as an athlete playing for you, 
I can't imagine, you know, there, there's this like at that age, there's this level of like wanting your freedom, but also really needing somebody on your side. So they kind of, you know, get that they get to have their mama, you know, as, as their coach who they know will look out for them. And when they truly need something beyond the game, you're available, which is incredible. Yeah. And just think about it, about it, like from 18 to 22, how many like crazy life experiences are between that round? You often can find the person you're going to marry or you go through heartbreak or your body has changed or your relationship status has changed. Just how you go into relationships have changed, just development of confidence or losing confidence. Like there's so many things that you would experience normally with your kid and that you just like hormonally like college life just there's so much going on between that age so it is um it, it is a bond and it's a little bit different um you know because I've had some kids that got into trouble being college students and and their their parents would call me and they're like she's more worried about what you think than what I think you know and it, but that's the the crazy thing about it is the, those are the relationships we have and I want them to have that trust in me to be able to tell me whatever is going on the same way we tell our kids, you don't lie to me, just tell me what's going on. And, but it's all relationship-based and it's all because of the, the little mama gene. They know at the end of the day, I can care less about the basketball part. I want to make sure you're good and that you're taken care of. And if, if that's the case, then I'm good. And again, that's where it goes back to what my measuring stick is <laughs> and what my, you know, my job is measured by. So at the end of the day, like I, I tell our girls all the time, I will not have a clue of how many games that I've won or lost, but I will always remember the number of weddings and the babies that I've held that were my players and seeing you guys go and rock it and do different things. I know all of those stories like the back of my hand. Oh, that is amazing. I love it. That's that that's what life is made out of, right? Um, okay. Speaking of your life, what is life like for you in Greenville, South Carolina? Greenville, South Carolina is phenomenal. There's so many awards and uh, that Greenville has gotten. And um, I think people are seeing it. It's like one of the top five or 10 growing cities in the U.S. Um, it's great for families. It's it's right in the middle of, you know, so it's an hour south of Charlotte, North Carolina. It's two hours north of Atlanta. So you can get to even larger markets. Um, it's just an amazing city and it's got everything that you need. And so I love Greenville. It's probably, again, it has everything you need without traffic. I'm from Northern Virginia, so everything is traffic-based and you used to have to plan your life around when the HOV lane was open and stuff like that. So you have all the best of all these worlds and you don't have traffic or what they think is traffic. They think it's traffic. It's not traffic to me. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm, I'm right with you there, Jackie, living in Reno, Nevada now, being from Chicago and then having lived in Houston, yes. there's not traffic here. And that is what makes life better. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. We're down to the final four questions. Got some quick hitters for you. So what's your best piece of advice for women to apply today to level up tomorrow? I think what has helped me is, like I said, is just having a circle. A lot of people call it their board of directors, um, circle of friends, that absolutely is going to carry you through those moments when you're vulnerable, when you're losing confidence. And it's a group of people. I think I I tell our players this, don't, you never care about the opinions of somebody you don't ask advice from. And so, especially in my position, like I could look at message boards, I could look at what fans, I could hear what fans are thinking. I don't care. 
like, and it took me a long time to get there because I let the, the opinions of other really influence how I was thinking about myself and my performance. And if you do that, you're not going to advance. You have to have the utmost confidence in yourself. And when you're wavering, you have that board of directors or those group of women or men that are around you to tell you how much of a rock star you are. So I think the support around you, um, that network of just, and also I have women around me that will bring me to tables I've never been through. And I think that's the other part is just like, hey, I saw this for you. You need to do this. And again, I didn't volunteer for a lot of these committees. People that respect me say you need to be on this committee because this is going to be life changing for you career wise. So just having that support and those other people or, or women particularly that are going to help put you at tables that you've never been at. Where are you traveling to next? Oh, I'm going to Barbados in May with my circle of women and their husbands. Oh, um, I love that. Okay. What is your pump up song? What do you walk out to on the basketball court? Oh gosh. Um, anything Beyonce. I'm a huge Beyonce. So like freedom countdown, like those are my songs where I just feel a little like, like a boss walking in my heels and my stilettos. And I just kind of picture it in my head. So like, I'm getting ready to play. I'm not playing. I have no control, <laughs> but I feel good walking in. <laughs> and finally, what is your favorite quote? Probably the one I just said is don't, you know, don't take advice from people. Um, don't care about the opinions for someone you don't take advice from. It is such great advice, especially today. And I'm sure advice that you're your uh, girls need as well. Um, and, and that we all need that reminder because we can let one little voice in the back of the room, like take us down. And it is such a shame. So if you would not ask advice from that person, do not care what they have to say about what you're doing. And furthermore, like, did they have the courage to get in the arena or, or was it you? So absolutely love that. Well, Jackie, this has been so much fun and just filled with incredible advice uh, for our female leaders and can't thank you enough for being a part of the Leadership is Female podcast. Awesome. Thank you for having me, Emily. With that, let's get into the top four takeaways. Number one, be distinct. Culture is everything. Number two, when you were little, you had an idea of what your future would be like. Today, you are in a position you had once dreamed and prayed to be in. Remember that and take it in. Number three, when finding your authentic voice, stop worrying about what might make others uncomfortable. It's your truth. When you reach this breakthrough, you know that your voice will have an impact and you'll never turn back. And number four, to embolden your confidence and willpower, display it even when you don't always have it, know you are there for a reason, and know that your actions and contributions earned where you are today. Thank you so much for spending your time with us today. Time is your most precious resource, and it means the world that you spent it with us. Please help us reach more people who need to hear these interviews by hitting the subscribe button and the five-star rating on your iPhone. Do you know someone who could benefit from this interview? Please share it. Take a screenshot and post your Instagram stories, copy the link and share on LinkedIn, or text that link to your colleague. The Leadership is Female podcast exists to showcase female leadership in sports and entertainment and give you the tips to level up. We will extend a hand back to lead you forward. Extend the same hand by sharing this with someone who needs to hear it. One last thing. 
Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at leadership is female. Now take this lesson and run. Let's go. This podcast was recorded and edited by Emily Jansen, public relations by Paige Hegedus and distributed by Anchor FM.